City Church in Over the Rhine is cultivating the kind of family Jesus introduced to the world in the city of Cincinnati. We're glad you're choosing to listen to a sermon from our weekly service. We would love to meet you. Visit us on Instagram or at citychurchotr.com. Enjoy. This morning, I'm starting a new series called Verses. Uh, verses, which uh, sounds really biblical and cool, but it's, it's actually U.S., not E.S., so it's like this versus that. It's not Bible verses. And, and here's why, because as a church, and this is one of the things I love most about City Church, and I know that I'm a better Christian because I go to this church that really champions this, but we love talking about and holding attention. So we love to hold tension. We feel like uh, we don't always have to go to this side or that side. Jesus is often found in the tension. So we talk a lot about and. So we want to pursue. We believe that his presence in a moment can change everything. And we are committed to the slow, the slow, long work of being formed into his image. We believe that Jesus was full of grace and truth, that we want to preach his word and invite his spirit, that you can be both fast and furious, and so, I like you, so good, but every now and again, and really, I mean this, it is usually and, every now and again, it's or, it's this, or it's that, and Jesus is notorious for confronting people where they are not like him, and I've talked a lot about this in a couple series ago. He's notorious for confronting people where they are not like him. So even though Jesus makes the gospel and the kingdom incredibly simple, he says it's, it's so small, it can begin so small, it's like a mustard seed or maybe like more modern, it's like it's an acorn. It's something small that turns into something large. It's simple and at the same time, it is incredibly complex. And one of his favorite things, I think if he got around us for a few minutes, he would probably first start with saying, man, I love that this is true about you. I love the way that you love in this way. And then at some point, he probably would say, but I, I do, I do want to talk about that. I think we should talk about that, that, right? That doesn't look like this. And so I've said this before, and I, I think that this is so much of the heart of this church, is that our discipleship process the process of following Jesus often begins where we are undiscipled. Our discipleship process often begins, the process begins with Jesus in the areas, not that we're doing well, but in the areas that we are undiscipled or in the areas that don't look like Jesus. And so um, this series is going to be a chapter-by-chapter walkthrough of the book of Galatians. So we're starting with Galatians 1. And here's why we chose the name Verses, is because Galatians has pretty strong or vibes. Like a lot of or, it's, it's this or that. Or in a lot of the, the situations, Paul is saying it's this versus this. And so here's the lineup for the next six weeks, just so you know where we're going. Today, Galatians 1, it's the gospel versus the American gospel. The gospel versus the, Amer- the American gospel. Next week is going to be fun. It's Peter versus Paul. Then it's Old Covenant versus New Covenant. Slave versus free Spirit versus flesh, and then chapter 6 is trying versus transforming. And so uh, I'm going to do most of the intro actually next week into what Galatians is, 
uh, but I'm going to do a little bit right now. We're going to really, really, really slowly walk through the first two verses, and then we're going to get to the gospel versus the American gospel. We, um, I don't think we have slides, so it might be a good time to pull out your Bible, which probably means your phone, and um, we're going to follow through the first eight verses of Galatians 1 really slowly. So the first verse says, uh, and I'll stop after a bit, but it says Paul. I'm going to stop. Now, this might be new to you, but there is some um, argument in scholarly world over which letters did Paul actually write and which letters are just attributed to him. And um, praise God. And uh, I'm I'm of the opinion, I'm on the more conservative side. I think that if it says Paul is Paul, that's just my opinion. However, no, um, no scholar, as liberal or progressive or conservative, thinks that anybody other than Paul, this is the most uncontested of Paul's letters. Everybody agrees. Paul wrote Galatians. And next week we're going to talk about when did he write it. And there's all kinds of debate there, whether you ascribe to the North Galatian theory or the South Galatian theory. I know we're all so intrigued by that. I'm going to present a bunch of maps and timelines next week. I expect this to be the lowest attended Sunday of all time. <laughs> but it's going to be fun. I, uh, my opinion, this was the first letter that Paul wrote. Uh, So, verse 1, Paul, an apostle. We'll stop again. There's two primary reasons that Paul's writing the book of Galatians, the letter of Galatians. Uh, One of them we're going to talk about for the next six weeks. The other I just want to mention right now, and it's defending his apostleship. So an apostle is one that was sent by Jesus. There were some people sort of following Paul around that started to raise questions, because that's, that's what the enemy does. It's like, did God really say? And they started to follow Paul around and say, are we sure that he's really an apostle? I mean, he wasn't actually one of the 12 disciples. He wasn't in the upper room. An apostle was one that was sent by Jesus. And so Paul wants to defend his apostle, apostleship. So it says, Paul, an apostle. And then he says this, sent not, by, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ, and God the Father. This is a reference back to Acts 9 when Paul encounters Jesus and in a moment he changes everything that was about him. And he said, actually, if you remember, I've written about this or it's been recorded before, I was sent by Jesus. I am an apostle. So Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. We have a map to the churches in Galatia. So this is Galatia. Now what's different about Galatians versus any other of the letters that Paul writes is Paul's either usually writing to a person like Timothy or a church in a city. Galatia is not a city, but it is an area. So um, it would be like someone writing a church to city church. That would be like Colossians or Ephesians. Versus Galatians is more like someone writing a letter to the church of Ohio. So it's a region. So Paul's addressing um, many churches in here. And we see um, these are all three of his missionary journeys, red, pink, and blue. What's interesting is um, he just goes to Galatia, primarily to Galatia on his first one. But every single time that we have a recorded missionary journey from Paul, he ends up in Galatia. Specifically, he ends up at Uh, Four of these cities, Pisidian, Antioch, Lystra, Iconium, and Derbe. You can read Acts 13 and 14. This is where Paul starts many of these churches. So Paul's writing to a group of churches that he knew pretty well. He'd been there a number of times. 
He helped found most of the churches. And he's addressing one primary issue throughout the rest of the letter, which is this. And we're going to read 3 through 8 now. He does his normal intro after this. So he establishes apostleship. And then he says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God and Father, to, to whom may be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he says this. This is the heart of what he's getting at. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach another gospel than the one that we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Good morning. Now what's interesting about this, he, he finally gets to the main reason he's writing the next six chapters. Is there's a group of people called the Judaizers. They were Jewish people that became Christians that said you have to become Jewish in order to become Christian. That were following Paul around, adding to the gospel that he preached. And they were primarily adding four things, and we have a slide for that, but you will get through each one of these four over the next few weeks. They were saying it's not just faith in Jesus and submission to him. There's some elements. We need to be perfect in the flesh or celebrate this certain holiday or you've got to get circumcised. They were going and they were adding all of these things onto the gospel. And Paul, if you read all of Paul or if, even if you're just familiar with Galatians, you find that he often reserves his harshest critique for those that preach a different gospel. That's true of most of his letters where he is most heavily critiquing Someone that's preaching a gospel that is different than the one that is true. And we talk a lot, and I think we should. This is the, the problem in our cultural moment is that we're not, we don't often act like Jesus or we struggle to learn how to be with Jesus. But said another way, Paul would say, um, what you believe really matters. What you believe really matters because it's from the point of belief so from the point of theological conviction that actually you then start to do things with Jesus or for Jesus or spend time with him. What you believe starts, it is the root for where you go everywhere else in your faith. And so Paul reserves often his harshest critique for those that are preaching a gospel that is different or that is false. Which begs two questions. One I'm going to answer really quickly and another we're going to answer for the rest of the morning. What is the gospel? I did a whole message on this like a month ago. Um, what is the gospel? What was actually the gospel that Jesus preached? We're going to read it because we want to measure our, our preaching of the gospel to Jesus's, right? It's a good idea. So what, did the, what was the gospel that Jesus preached? Well, in the shortest segment, it's at the beginning of his ministry, Mark records that he came onto the scene and said the kingdom has come near. Or a few weeks ago we said, remember, the kingdom is available. The gospel is that the kingdom has come. And then he says, repent and believe the good news. Repent means to change your mind. So there is an element of changing the things that you believe, changing the way that you act, change your mind. The kingdom has come. This is the gospel, that the kingdom has arrived. Now change everything you thought you knew in light of who this king is. So the gospel that Jesus preached, in short, is that the kingdom has come. Which begs the second question. What false, or the word I'm going to use this morning, incomplete, what false or incomplete gospels are prevalent today? 
Because what would be, um, some of you would think this is fun, most of you would not. What we could do is go through the rest of Galatians and really pick apart the Judaizers, but frankly, that's not really prevalent today. Um, I'd be surprised if anybody has like been forced to become Jewish before starting to follow Jesus. That's not like really the cultural problem that we have. So we could pick apart what were the Judaizers doing. However, that's not incredibly relevant. There are other Christian gospels that are moving around in the church. We're going to exclude outside the church. In the church that aren't wrong. They're just incomplete. And so we're going to go through those four. Now, if you're a church person... You're going to nerd out. You're going to find this so interesting. If you grew up in church, you're going to be like, oh, man, I, you're putting language to things I've experienced. And you are my most likely candidate to be offended. And then you should know, I have offended myself before because I, I grew up in church. I'm like, oh, man, I didn't know I had that, like, intrinsic structure in my heart. You're my most likely person to be offended. And that is not the goal of this morning. The goal, and I need you to hear this. I promise I'll get done with disclaimers in a second. We don't need more of a critical spirit in the church. A critical spirit is poison to the church. When we start critiquing other ministries, other churches, other ways of doing things, often from a place of insecurity, that is the last thing that we need. So we are not critiquing these four American gospels. We are just simply pointing out, we're bringing an awareness to, and then we're going to ask the question at the end, where does that leave me? Where, Where are there a little bit of false substructures in my heart Where does my preaching of the gospel not line up with Jesus's? So we're going to talk about negatives and positives, and I want you to hear both sides of that. The last thing is, I just at least want to give a shout out. So much of this comes from um, the listening to and reading of John Mark Comer, and I'm sure he's listening to me today as he does every week. (laughs) But I just want to say, uh, I mean, so much of this, I'm like, oh, I've thought this, I've studied this. He put, he helped put to words so many of the things that um, I have found helpful, and hopefully it's helpful to you. So, are you ready for them? The four common American, these are just the foremost common American gospels. The evangelical gospel, the reformed gospel, the prosperity gospel, and the social gospel. You look nervous. (laughs) Number one, the evangelical gospel, or also called the simple gospel. It goes something like this. You are a sinner that is destined for hell, but God loves you with an everlasting, unbelievable relentless love and so jesus came and he took your place on the cross so that you can believe in him and go to heaven it starts with the raising of a hand and repeating after me in a prayer now remember a lot of you are hearing that saying that sounds pretty true it is true remember the problem is these are incomplete they are not false so everything i just said there is true that's exactly part of the gospel but it's when we make a thing the thing. So some negatives that have come about. Now, this is relatively recent. The rise of the evangelical gospel or the simple gospel came after World War II. The negatives that have come from this is that it doesn't quite match up to the gospel that Jesus preached. This gospel, this news is primarily driven to get us into heaven when the teaching of Jesus seemed more like trying to get heaven into us. The evangelical gospel asks this question and it makes you deal with this. What happens if I die? That's an important question. You should ponder that. But Jesus' gospel asks more, what happens if I live? What am I living for? So the gospel is not false. It's just rather incomplete. Another negative is um, it takes much of the Jewishness out of Jesus. 
Um, and it almost eradicates or erases anything that's BC, which is 75% of our Bible. It's, it's, in, in, it's making it simple. It has gotten rid of so much culture and so much context for the life and ministry of Jesus. The third thing, there's more. The third thing that's just been hard about this gospel or that I don't think it's brought a great thing to us is something called decisionism. And it's, it's, the, it's the moment, the decision is the thing rather than the following. Um, so, for example, raise your hand if you drove to church this morning. Raise your hand if you, and if you want to get saved. I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand. <laughs> Michelle, 40 salvations. Come on, there is a move of God. That's not super helpful. Um, and let's get to the positives because that is certainly not. The, the, the problem with this, the problem with that moment right there is not that moment, but that moment is not what it's about. It's the following of Jesus after this. The, the primary thing is how are we submitting our lives to Jesus? How are we following Jesus? And if you make it all about this and less about this, then it's an incomplete gospel. Here are the positives of the evangelical gospel. Decisionism. It's also a positive. Because in a nuanced world that wants us to just live in the gray all of the time, and there's so much value in the gray, there is a moment that you must choose if you are for or against Jesus. This is a good thing. Conversion is a good thing. There was a moment that I chose. I'm submitting my life to that God. And so one of the good things that's come out of this is actually this idea that it starts with a decision. Another positive from the evangelical gospel, it is simple and beautiful. It came about because the, the question was asked, especially after World War II, when missions were really starting to retake off, is how do we make this accessible to all people? You don't have to have a seminary degree to follow Jesus, and that's true. And so they, we've packaged it in a nice, tight little piece of news, which is great, but it's just incomplete if we don't talk about more than just the cross and the grave. The kingdom came, and that is the good news of the gospel. Another great thing is it's made Jesus really, really accessible to all. I can share the very important parts of the gospel with you in 90 seconds. It might take me hours to unpack, and I don't even understand all of the implications of the kingdom, but in 90 seconds, I can tell you what Jesus did for you. That's beautiful, and that's a good thing. Now, the, the critique of this subculture or of this sub-gospel is that it has minimized discipleship, and that is true. But if we're going to critique it, I also want to make sure that we complement it on all of the salvations that it has brought all over the world. It has emphasized the sharing of the gospel, which is a really, really good thing. Number two, the Reformed gospel goes something like this. This is going to sound very similar to the evangelical gospel, just a little bit more angry. <laughs> God is holy, perfect, wrathful, and just. And you stand guilty before him. The wages of your sin is death. And God needed a payment, so he sent his son to die so that you can be part of the elect and so that you can get to heaven. Now again, that sounds true because it is not a false gospel. It is simply incomplete if you make a thing the thing. Um, some of the sub-theologies that come from this, which are good and they're true, are imputed righteousness. Some of you are going to have no idea what this is. That's okay. Imputed righteousness. Jesus gave me his righteousness. Penal substitution. He took my place. Justification is a big theology in, this, in the Reformed gospel, which is that Jesus has made it just 
if I'd never sin. I am justified before Jesus. There's also subcultures that go along with this gospel. Namely, if you're a pastor in a Reformed church, you have to have a beard, brew your own beer, wear, wear flannel, smoke cigars, sit around and talk about what a conversation might be like between John Calvin and John Piper. <laughs> also, I want to include many Reformed people are some of my deep, fr like, deep friends, and, uh, and I've made these jokes to them as well, pastors included. Now, here are some of the negatives. Again, the negatives are just that they've made a thing, the thing. Some of the negatives are, um, it's again, not just about who gets to heaven. It's been such a leaning into grace and faith alone. I don't have to do anything. Don't do anything. Stop moving. Don't move. You're a Christian now. He did it all. And yet, Jesus gives a lot of commands. The preaching of Jesus' gospel includes, I do stuff. I might not be saved by the stuff that I do, but this, hands off, he did it all, so I'm just going to chill. That isn't the gospel that Jesus preached. Lots of commands, lots of, hey, this is the way that you should live in light of the fact that I have done everything for you. Um, also, and all of these have extreme versions that are just more like heretical or not true. Um, the extreme version of this one has certainly left a lot of people hurt in church or burnt out. Uh, the extreme version of this is that God's so angry at you that he had to kill his son. And, um, and I love how John Mark makes sure that we understand. John 3, 16. For God so loved. The primary drive of the gospel is love. It's not wrath. It's not anger. Love is the thrust of everything that fueled Jesus and his father. Uh, one more negative that has come out of this, if you take it too far, is the elevation of knowledge. The elevation of knowledge, uh, where memorized theology is better than anything else. And I just want to say the equation that we feel like Jesus has introduced is that lived theology is better than memorized theology. There's another graph. Some of my friends, they are planting house churches all over the world, and they, I used to train with them. This graph has changed my life. On the left is what would probably be called the, um, maybe some of the sub-reformed gospel or even the American church where we have access to the best teachers in the world. And so we say we've got to learn a lot. And that's your mark of maturity. Hopefully you obey some of it. And um, if God wills it, you share it with somebody else. Versus the discipleship model of the church that Jesus introduced is you learn something, you obey something, you share it with somebody else. We should make it our aim to not know anything without also obeying it and then sharing it with someone else. Rob's with me this morning. Guys, this is, this is where we're going. This is the idea that Jesus introduced. I learn it, I obey it, I share it with someone else. The problem is that we have made theology, not a bad thing, but the thing. Instead of saying, I want to live out what I already know. Now, there are some great positives that have come from this subculture. Number one, they have made the cross a big deal, which is a good thing because the cross is a really big deal. The other thing that I love that this sub-genre of the gospel has done, or sub-church has done, is that they have not ignored the wrath of God, which is real. Oftentimes, we have swept the wrath or the anger of God underneath some rug because it's not palatable to everyone else. And that would be really noble if it was also true, but God does get angry. God's not super chill about sin, and the, the Reformed subculture has done a beautiful job of winsomely reminding us at times that the wrath of God is actually still a good thing. 
Also, another wonderful positive that has come from this is that in a biblically illiterate generation and culture, they have said, actually, what you learn, what you know, what you believe really matters. And I think Paul in Galatians would say, amen. What you believe really, really matters. We need to have good theology. We need to care. We need to study the word for ourselves. And so the emphasis on education is actually also a really, really beautiful thing. So remember, as we're halfway through, these are not false. They are merely incomplete if they make a thing the thing. That doesn't mean if someone describes themselves as an evangelical or reformed that they are this thing. It's if they have gone too deep into this, excluding the rest. I've got my own issues for sure that I'll talk a little bit about later. That is certainly a part of my life. I've made a thing the thing. Number three, well, first of all, just with that, um, when Jesus brought the kingdom, it wasn't a set of beliefs to memorize. And so that, that is the beauty of the kingdom coming, is it's both lived, experienced, known, and shared. Number three, the prosperity gospel. Here we go. This is Rob and I's favorite. Um, so we've got the plates that we're going to pass right now. And... Also called the health and wealth gospel, the word of faith gospel, name it, claim it. Now, again, there's extremes and there's, uh, there's more of a soft. I'd say the soft is more prevalent today. There's just outright heretical, like give this, God will 10 exit. And there's also elements of that just being exaggerated. It's not untrue. There are elements of generosity that are, if you, you reap what you sow, Jesus seems to say, hey, I gave you this many talents and you were trustworthy, I'm going to give you more. I am living my life. Catherine and I are living our budgetary life as if God looks at us and says, I can trust them with more. I never want God to get to a moment that he says, ah, I don't know what they'll do with it if I give it to them. And when you start to put equations around Jesus, you're probably starting to be wrong. That's what the hard prosperity gospel has done. It's not like incomplete. It's just wrong. It's false. The soft prosperity gospel might go something like this. Now remember, it's not false, it's incomplete. God loves you. God is for you. You are his prince or his princess. The cross came so that you can have victory over death and over sickness. The best is yet to come. Your breakthrough is just around the corner. None of that's false. It's just only incomplete if you make it the thing. Some negatives to both the hard and the soft prosperity gospel. Number one, it ends up being a little bit more about a feeling than it does costly discipleship and following Jesus. Number two, and I don't know how else to describe this, but this is a subculture that's very real that has left a lot of people either burnt out or hurt. And I'm going to call it the, the man of God principle. Or if you're in those churches, it's the man of God. It's like A.W. <laughs> Where the, the man of God is like really highly elevated. Uh, often the pastor, pastor's wife, church staff. Um, Rob, is uh, he grew up in this kind of church. So when Rob gets up here, I don't know if you knew this. It's not just a joke he's making. When Rob gets up here and says, hi, my name's Rob. I'm the associate pastor. My job description includes getting Chris's laundry and changing his oil. That's like, first of all, it's not true. You can laugh. <laughs> I don't make him do that. I, uh, for, this is how I dress. Not a whole lot of dry cleaning in the Marlin household, and I drive an electric car, so there's no oil changes. What he's doing, I mean, th this is like a real culture where that is really somebody's job in other churches. Again, honor is good, 
the elevation of honor or specific people over uh, lots of other people is just not good. Um, we had a guy that came to our church in Vegas. He came out of this world, and um, I remember he, I mean, there's all kinds of things. First, he said, you know, I used to run sound for Newsboys, and so we let him run sound because we're a 150-person church. We could use anybody we can get. I don't think he ran sound for Newsboys. <laughs> it's a Christian band in the 90s, FYI. Um, I'm pretty sure that was not true. Uh, another thing is he came out of this world, and so I was 27. Not that age matters, but I was a 27-year-old lead pastor, and he was in his 50s. And the things he did for me or, like, gave me, I mean, it was just, like, a little uncomfortable. But it came to a moment when I was like, oh, this is a culture that's not us. Uh, we were renting a 500-seat auditorium in a high school. We were a church of about 150. And so when you came to our church in Vegas, it wasn't, like, hard to find a seat. And one day I came in, I was doing, like, my mic check at the beginning or before the service started. And our sound guy, the guy that we went back to, was like, hey, you should, you should go to the front and see what, what Mitch did. And, and so I go to the front, and the whole front row had paper um, taped to it. It was printed out, it was prepared for, that said, reserved for pastor and wife. And I, first of all, like, nobody sits in the front row no matter how full the church is. So like, <laughs> I have access to the front row anytime I want it. Also, for 500-seat auditorium, 150-person church, not necessary. But the essence was, this is not our culture, Mitch. And he's coming from a place where you do whatever the pastor or the man of God, the apostle, the evangelist, whatever they call themselves. This is not the culture. This is not, I don't think it's a true culture. It seems like Jesus introduced leadership that was servant, where the, uh, Rob drew a pyramid in staff meeting this week, where the staff members, or the pastor's actually on the bottom. That seems to be what Jesus introduced. So, it's the man of God. Now, here are some other negatives that have come out of this is, um, first of all, Jesus would have been a failure in this gospel. And that's the biggest issue. Jesus was not incredibly wealthy, and he was persecuted. Also, Paul, pretty much a failure. Paul's life was not up and to the right. The gospel did not, not make his life better by most standards of the word. The other thing, and so many positives that have come out of this, number one, this is the subculture that probably believes the most or pursues the supernatural the most. Also, human flourishing, they, they talk a lot about what it looks like to flourish in culture. Also, they bring, this subculture brings a, a hope that is really, really good in an often depressed outside world culture. We should be expectant of what God is doing. We should be bringing hope to the world. Every now and again, like this morning, the gospel, if you can dance other places, you can dance for Jesus every now and again. Because Jesus is exciting and his kingdom is coming. So many wonderful things have been brought by this charismatic or this soft prosperity gospel. It's not, um, it's not heretical. It's just incomplete. Number three, or number four, uh, got to run through this one quick. The social gospel, or also called the liberation gospel. Now this one is the most popular among usually young people and among the urban core. So listen. Uh, and I want to get this right. I love the way that John Mark talks about this. So I'm going to actually quote him here. This is how he describes it. The social gospel sits inside an essentially soft Marxist worldview that views all of human history as a struggle for power between oppressed and oppressor and views most relationships through the lens of power dynamics. Here's how this one might go. Jesus came 
to liberate the oppressed, and to inaugurate a kingdom of peace, justice, and equality. Is that true? Yes, a hundred thousand percent. That is what Jesus came to do. Is that the only thing that he came to do and cared about? No. Again, it's a thing, not the thing. Some of the negatives that have come out of the social gospel is that the gospel in itself is not inherently political. If it was, then Jesus would have gone to Rome or at least spent all of his time in Jerusalem, not in the backwaters of Galilee. The gospel is not inherently political. Now, it might inform the way that you vote, inform the way that you engage in politics, and yet the kingdom that Jesus brought is not a political kingdom. I'm going to remind you of that in a year. The kingdom that Jesus brought is not an inherently political kingdom. Some of the other negatives is that Jesus very much, just like Paul, cared about what you believe. He really, really cared about what we believed, and this is a gospel that's often focused more on action and is a little bit loose with the theology side of things. Like, you can believe whatever you want as long as we're fighting the oppressor. Now, this is a fact, not an opinion. Okay, what I'm about to say is a fact, not an opinion. Look up all the stats on this. Churches that unify around action only and not a core set of beliefs, and this tends to usually be more progressive theologically, not politically, theologically. Churches that unite around action only and not usually belief where you can just sort of believe whatever you want, statistically, not my opinion, die. If you don't hold to a certain set of beliefs, if you don't also care about what you do, that church eventually will burn out, will most likely burn out and not make it. Jesus cared about what we believe. And one of the negatives of this gospel is that it's all about doing stuff and it's uh, believe whatever you want. Or, or believe like loosely what we think, but feel free to go to either side of the political or the theological spectrum. Now, the positives of this one are vast. One, it's the only one that I've mentioned kingdom in when I've talked about it. The social gospel is primarily concerned with bringing the kingdom by doing things. Because our faith should lead us to do something, not just believe something. This um, subculture has done a better job than any of the other ones, in my opinion, of remembering Imago Dei, the image of God. That all people are created in the image of God. So this is probably the subculture that is most likely fighting racism, ageism, sexism. Because of that. And still, there are some problems with not anchoring yourself in Jesus, in Scripture, and believing the things that he taught. Again, not heretical, just incomplete. In conclusion, all of this just so I can ask a couple of questions. Have you taken any one of these, especially if you grew up in church, have you taken any one of these too far? Is there one of these that, that has maybe grabbed a little bit more of your heart? Have you taken the positives and negatives of one and left the positives of the other somewhere else? Um, and if you're not sure, said another way, this, I want to just ask this, um, which one of these, when I was speaking, made you the most angry? When I was talking about the negatives of them, which one of them made you the most angry? I think that this is mostly based on objective thought, not my opinion. Which one of these made you the most angry? And just so you know, this is my background. I, as I look back on my childhood church, I probably grew up with a mostly reformed gospel. 
And then I went to college and was deeply involved with an evangelical ministry that really shaped my life. And then I moved to Las Vegas. We moved to Las Vegas and were a part of a much more charismatic, soft prosperity culture out there. And now for the last five years, I've been living in the urban core with mostly young people. So I am a product of and recovering from each one of these incomplete gospels. Which begs the question, what about you? Um, the band can come up. We're going to worship. Um, just a couple of, of questions along with that. Uh, as I was talking about that, or maybe specifically, you know, you're like, yeah, get them. Get the prosperity gospel. I'd love to know, have you, have you ever tithed? <laughs> if you were loving, loving me, dogging on that. If you were laughing with me because of uh, the raising the hand car thing, have you ever shared the gospel with anybody? Have you ever shared your faith with somebody else. Remember, where we are undiscipled matters. And so I want you to ask, where am I undiscipled in my theological framework? Where am I leaning maybe a little bit too much there and not somewhere else? Said another way, where has my preference of the gospel veered from Jesus's? Where's the gospel that I preach not quite matching up with the one that Jesus preached? Because remember, it is not just where am I like Jesus? But it is also, where am I unlike Jesus? Where has Christian subculture left me undisciplined? And so, this morning, we're going to sing about an awesome God, how amazing he is. And I want to ask this question, and I want to give this response. First, uh, as always, the Lord's table is in all four corners. Um, this is for anybody that's a follower of Jesus that wants to be reminded, that wants to remind yourself of the sacrifice of Jesus. Uh, in all four corners, there's going to be prayer. It can be about the message or something totally different. Here's the one rule about prayer. Don't come in with a burden and leave with the same one. Go get prayer. You do not have to be in a crisis to go and get prayer. But the main response this morning is the front open. And I want you to, to be bold if you feel like the Lord is moving on this. And I want you to ask, Lord, where... I want you to change your posture if you're comfortable. I want you to change your posture and say, I lay that down. I lay that down. I want to grab onto the positives of the other three because I've just leaned into this one. And so this morning, I want you to be, because it's hard to be Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Sunday service. If we can serve you in any way, please visit our website at citychurchotr.com. If you want to be a part of what God is doing in Cincinnati, you can support us financially. Giving can also be done on our website at citychurchotr.com give.